0: So um, thank you for having me. Um, I I really take this as an honour actually to come um, and share about something that I'm absolutely passionate about, which is your theme for um, just as a church at the moment, mission as a lifestyle. Um, and uh, basically, um, as I said earlier, as Mike said, you know me from the BCF days many years ago. Um, I um, so I grew up in BCF and. I, I never, ever, ever imagined myself doing what I'm doing now. Um, I actually wanted to be a primary school teacher. <laughs> and um, I, I actually went to university in Worcester and did the first year of early childhood studies, thinking that that was what I was going to do. And it took me a long time to eventually work out what God had asked me to do. And I did a f- quite a few things in the meanwhile, uh, not really fully knowing that. Um, and, but I believe like, nothing is ever wasted and God uses every experience and every opportunity, every encounter, um, every hard thing, every good thing. And he uses it to train us and equip us um, and to grow us into who he's making us to be um, to, um, for his glory. And um, so, yeah, what I'm doing now is um, after training as a nurse... Qualifying as a nurse, training as a midwife, qualifying as a midwife, Um, doing the first year of teacher training many years ago, but not actually completing that as well. So lots of different types of training routes, um, which I don't believe any of it is wasted. Um, In between all of that time, I felt God say to me um, that I was going to do a ministry school at some point, or a Bible college, and I kind of, I won't go into all the details of that, but basically... Um, I pushed it all to one side. And after I qualified as a midwife, God made it really, really clear to me that I was actually meant to go to a ministry school then. (laughs) That was about 12 years after he originally spoke to me about it. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. I'm going to move away from here. Um, So I went to California, um, and when I went, I knew at that point that it was, it was like an inner knowing that I was never going to work conventionally again. And that sounds very strange to quite a few people, um, that you you kind of, you go to ministry school and you think, you know, you're just going to learn some great stuff and then sort of go into a vocation or return to your vocation um, even more empowered. And that's, that is what happens. But it sounds strange when you say you're never going to work conventionally again. And it's it's quite alien to a lot of mindsets and concepts, like, you know, people think that you need to, um, you need to sort of work in the secular field, and I, I've done that um, leading up to the point of ministry school, but um, I've battled with that for a long, long time, I was having a chat with Nick just before the session began about uh, lapsing my nursing registration, and sometimes, this is not at all on my notes, by the way, but I feel like I would need to say it, sometimes... We do battle through things, but it get, we actually get to a crunch point where we just have to obey him, even when it's the most scary thing in the world. And growing up, as I've already said, I had no idea that I'd be doing this. In fact, speaking, any kind of public speaking terrified me. Um, and um, I remember a shift. Um, actually, my third year at Bethel, I was... Um, I was. Uh, in Uganda with my mentor an evangelist called Chris Overstreet Um, and actually I'm still in touch with him um, and I no longer sort of I no longer come under him as such but we're still in touch and he's still a sort of mentor in my life and um, and Chris uh, and I went to Uganda and we were preaching at a a crusade (laughs) I know that word's a bit funny in this culture but uh, it's a gospel campaign a large scale event with lots of people we were sharing the gospel message and um, and at this crusade um, he gave me an opportunity to preach and then the next day he gave me an opportunity to preach in a church and he gave he hadn't given me any warning so I had to preach I was like oh my gosh I'm gonna preach on and I pulled out an old sermon and actually I'd used that sermon the previous week somewhere completely different um, and it felt really dry the previous week and when he asked me to um, preach on that morning, I pulled out this sermon that I'd used the previous week somewhere completely different. And about five minutes in, it was like, I was just dripping. I, I can't describe it, not dripping on the outside, but dripping on the inside, and I just felt it flow. And there were about 50 people in that church congregation, and there was a female pastor called Jane, and um, she was sitting on, in the middle of the um, pews. And um, well, not really pews. What was it? there uh, It was they were kind of benches. Anyway, she was sitting there, and I was looking at her, and I was I was kind of flowing with what I needed to say, and I got to the end, and and she just I looked at her for guidance, and she was just like, keep going. <laughs> I was like, okay, and I knew that I was doing exactly what God had asked me to do, and and I called um, at several words of knowledge, and I had a guy called Chad with me, and I asked him to come up and share some words of knowledge. And every single person who we prayed for um, got saved. Uh, sorry, everyone was there who, who was there was saved. But every single person we prayed for, um, and the words and knowledge were accurate, um, they all got physically healed. Like it was a hundred percent healing in that congregation, and they all got up to the front and they all wanted to share their testimonies. <laughs> and so it was not just like a physical healing and and then sort of like going away with doubt that they'd been healed and. Um, all the rest of it, but they actually wanted to testify to the goodness of God, and um, and I felt that day a complete shift in me, um, this is about four years ago now, in, in terms of speaking, but also in terms of just, like, doing things in step with the Spirit, and um, afterwards I had a chat with the pastor, Pastor Jane, and she said to me, she actually just came over and she prophesied, and she said, you will go all over the world and you'll preach the gospel, and you'll do it because of your love for the Lord and your love for the lost. And I was just like, wow, okay. I know that today is a shifting day for me in my spirit, but it's also a practical, physical shifting moment for me. And when I finished that internship with Chris Overstreet, um, I knew, even though I knew it before I moved to California three years before that, (laughs) but I knew that I needed to um, actually lapse my nursing registration i needed to lapse my midwifery registration and i needed to set my calendar aside for ministry opportunities and keep my calendar open and that's terrifying when i return to the uk and people were just like you know what, what's your what's your game plan are you going to are you going to accept some agency nursing jobs? Are you going to, um, you know, are you going to get some temporary work here? Are you, you know, what are you going to do now that you're back in the UK after three years? That you've had your three-year break now, <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, people were kind to me in the way they said it, but it felt very kind of like in my face. You know, what are you going to do now? And um, and I had to be obedient to God. And so whenever the nursing agency phoned me offering me shifts, which was almost daily. <laughs> I, I said, you know, I'm going to just call you back and I'll let you know if I can work this shift. And, uh, and they would say to me, you know, what, what, are you, what are you going to do today? Are you going to accept this shift or not? And I'd say, I can't. And it actually got to the awkward point where they were like, why are you not accepting these shifts? And then eventually I had to actually lapse my nursing registration. And the day that I lapsed it was the most freeing moment because I knew I was stepping into full-time itinerant evangelistic ministry so all of that to say very long story but all of that to say is it's been a journey to get to this point um, and it's not a point like of achievement it's it's a continuum it's just a lifestyle and your theme for this church um, here this at the moment but specifically for this weekend is mission as a lifestyle so completely off what I was going to (laughs) say but um, I will go back to it in a minute but um, yeah I I feel like um, I'll actually step back a bit into my first year at Bethel um, where I was um, sitting in a in an auditorium there were 1200 people in my first year school of ministry and um, a guy called Steve Backlund was um, doing a prophetic teaching session that day and he was teaching us about prophesying in the past tense as though something had already happened. And his purpose of doing that was that he said, if you, if you prophesy somebody as though it's about to happen, then you're, you're not really seeing them in that role. You're seeing them in their current state. So it's like, if you prophesy in the past tense as though they already are that thing, then it changes your mindset. So, anyway, he got us to practice it. And the person who I didn't know from Adam sitting next to me, a girl from Switzerland, she turned to me and she said, the people you led to the Lord were so many. So that was past tense prophecy. And immediately God spoke to me in my spirit. And I had these numbers drop into my spirit. And they were 20,000 in a day and 20,000 in a year. So I knew that the 20,000 in a day was the large-scale events, the stadiums, the crusade fields, um, just organized activities on a large scale. But the 20,000 in a year was about the day-to-day demonstration, which is something I'd already been living a lifestyle of anyway. And it was the training and equipping of others to do that. And I realized that that was actually, I'm gonna speak about this actually, that was actually the role of having the office of an evangelist because it was the training and the equipping side of doing, um, uh, of, of doing that. Um, so it was getting others activated into sharing their faith with others, with boldness, with confidence, and, um, and seeing the gospel spread far and wide. So um, in my second year at Bethel, Um, I was just doing my normal day, and suddenly I think I was driving, and I felt God say to me one day, are you prepared for me to double those numbers? (laughs) I was like, what? And I knew that um, the numbers didn't actually at that point mean anything at all. It was not about the numbers anymore. It was just about my willingness to say yes. So sometimes when we're uh, just living our life, we, we can get all caught up with the detail and the numbers and the practicalities and the sort of like, oh my gosh, like it went from 20,000 a day and 20,000 a year to 40,000. Like that is crazy. And I can get all concerned about that. But actually, he's expanding our mindset on things, opening up possibilities through giving us sort of these dreams and visions, whatever it might be for your own life. But really, what he ultimately wants is our all time yes. So, my third year was set up to do this internship with Chris Overstreet. And when I came back to the UK, um, although I wasn't under Chris Overstreet at that point, um, I felt like actually my mandate was to um, continue to do these large scale events, the day to day living it out and demonstration. And the training and equipping of others. So right now, what I do in life is I travel around the world. I serve under different ministries, Christ for Nations. I've been on several trips with them to Nigeria with Reinhard Bonke. Um, I've done things like lots of South American trips with a ministry um, who I actually do a lot with, Bridal Glory International. Um, Brian Guerin's the name of the guy. And he, actually, that's really interesting because his focus isn't so much on on the large scale things he's more about the the intimacy with Jesus and the bridal realm of Christ and knowing him and I feel like often we we take things out of balance and we we think of like ultimately what our calling is what our gifting is all the you know the things that God's put in our lives but everyone the highest call in in our walk with jesus is intimacy that is ultimately what it's about is knowing him and i believe god put brian gerrin specifically in my path to um to actually learn that um to learn about knowing jesus intimately and then from that place we can we can go out and see see um god move through us in different ways in the ways that he specifically called us so i'm going to go back to my notes Um, um, I'd like to um, firstly ask um, why mission is important. Oops, excuse me. I'm trying to find the right place to put this. (laughs) Why is mission important? Um, I'd like you to think about the difference between mission as a profession and then mission as a lifestyle. Just have a moment to think about it. Okay, so I'd like to suggest a few things here. Um, There's uh, full-time church workers and missionaries, there's um, people who get paid to tell people about Jesus, Um, maybe in jobs like being a pastor or um, being an evangelist or, um, you know, just some sort of missionary work. There's the professional side of it. But then there's also the rest of us, (laughs) there's everyone else um, who works ordinary jobs So this is where mission as a lifestyle comes in. Nobody's excluded from it. So the people who get paid, the people who are um, in a profession to do this um, are not excluded from mission as a lifestyle, even though it's their job. But everyone else in their professions and just in their daily walk and activities, we're not excluded from it either. And sometimes we can leave it to other people to do You're this personality type, you're called to do this in your life, Um, so we'll leave it to you, and we exclude ourselves, but nobody, nobody by nobody, is excluded from mission as a lifestyle. Um, So as I've already said, I used to be somebody, (coughs) excuse me, I've I've recently had a cold, so I'm speaking through a bit of a (laughs) dry throat. I I used to be somebody um, who had an ordinary job, as I said. I used to be a nurse, and then I retrained as a midwife. Um, My mission back then for me um, was in my everyday life, my secular workplace. And even um, in a secular workplace, maybe, so in the NHS in particular, you know, you you can't pray for people. (laughs) It's just not allowed. You can't share your faith. Uh, You can't talk about Jesus unless somebody first initiates it with you and you're sort of invited into the conversation. But even then, there's quite a few few great areas. But I would find ways in which God would prompt me to pray for people or find ways in which to share the gospel. One of them was, so with nursing, um, the patients um, who needed bed baths, um, as I was um, cleaning people, I would be... um, praying in my spirit, but I would, you know, because it says in the Bible, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So I didn't have to physically say any words, but I could be praying and interceding for them whilst doing my job in that respect. Um, and then when I was um, doing my midwifery with with the babies that were delivered, I would put, uh, put a hat on the babies' heads and I would declare the helmet of salvation. And I believe God gave me these tools to live out my mission as a lifestyle within my workplace in a secular environment, even when it's not actually allowed in that particular environment. Um, And then there would just be ways that I could talk about Jesus with my colleagues. Some some of the times, like if I was going to a community um, place, um, and I might be in a car with another midwife, then (coughs) in those moments where you're driving in... countryside you might have a chat with this other other colleague and um and they might ask you more about your life and then you can open up a bit more and you have to still be careful about what you say but we need to be bold as well we can't be fearful you know we have to we have to share our faith with people around us in any context it's it's not something that we shy back from at all people do shy back from it (coughs) excuse me but but we need to learn to step up in boldness and and take courage and know that actually Holy Spirit is the master evangelist. He goes before us and he paves the way for these conversations to happen. <coughs> so, um, I yeah, I basically, um, I used to do all of these different things, not perfectly every time. I used to have lots of failures at different points as well. Like, you know, sometimes I'd have, Uh, people who would really sort of be up in my face and I'd have to just ask God, okay, today didn't work, show me how to do tomorrow. Um, But I just encourage us to to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. How can I engage people in conversations about you um, in my daily life? And actually, I'd like to go back to something I talked about earlier, which is uh, about the bridal realm of Christ, Christ, knowing God intimately. Um when we love God, we can't help but allow him to flow out of us. And it's all about intimacy. It's all about knowing him. It's all about spending time with him. And when we're, when we, when we're in that mode of just, it, we could be in, in the busiest scenario with lots going on around us. But we can ask him to flow through us and we can have the, the mind of Christ and we can hold on to our peace and um, and he will show us how to abide in him, and then through that, something in our spirit is recognised and pick up a ball, and people will want to know more, and they'll start to ask questions, and and sometimes even if we just hold back a bit, people will just like they'll be like, can you tell me more? Like you you gave me an inclination here, can you just tell me more? And um, so it's it's a balance between. Sharing boldly, but also having the wisdom and the discernment was to when to hold back and just allow the spirit of God to flow through you because that's who you are. You are in him, he is in you, and he wants to flow out and through you and to reach others. So it's knowing and having that balance and that discernment about knowing how and when he wants to use you in different situations. And people will actually ask. <laughs> people will be really intrigued and they'll want to know who God is and what's different about you. So um, <clears throat> I'd like to um, touch back a bit on um, the fivefold ministry um, and spiritual giftings. I'm actually going to do another whole session later today, which is mostly about spiritual giftings. Excuse me. Um, so later on, I'm going to talk a lot about uh, the role of spiritual giftings in mission, but um, but specifically about the fivefold ministry. Um, Ministry. Everyone has access to all of the gifts, but there's a specific fivefold as well. So in Ephesians four, um, <coughs> verse eleven um, to thirteen, um, it talks about the fivefold ministry. It says, "So Christ ge- Himself, Christ Himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, to equip people for the works of service." So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> so we're um Evangelists, prophets, like I've got it all in the wrong order. It always starts with the apostles. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. I always remember the first is the apostles with my thumb. <laughs> That's just how I do it. Um, but with the fivefold uh, ministry, um, as an example for evangelists, they're specifically anointed by God for the work of that ministry, but they're also appointed by man to equip and train the saints. Um, and that's all of us. So we're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all um, fivefold. Um, there's teaching out there that talks about everyone having some sort of fivefold. And I'm, I disagree with it wholeheartedly. We're, there are people who are anointed by, sorry, anointed by God and appointed by man to be fivefold. But not all of us are called to each of those um, things. Um, but in, for, um, for evangelism... Um, We're not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be witnesses. It very clearly tells us in the Bible that we're all called to go out and share the gospel and um, to be witnesses. Um, So I'd like to make that really, really clear. But also, it takes the pressure off us as well, because that means that it is just part of our lifestyle. It's not just an activity that we do. It's not just a place that we go to or, you know, a sort of a crusade field or a stadium event and a sort of, you know, an event where people have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And So we're not all called to preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel in that way. But we are all called to witness. And that means that we're going to have to find ways in our everyday life in order to be witnesses. <coughs> so the pressure is off. Because it's just part of who we are. It's just part of our lifestyle. Um, so I'm just going to ask here, what types of mission are there? Just have a think about it for a moment. What kinds of uh, mission are there? And I'll suggest a few. So there's many different kinds of mission. And there's probably more than I've even got here. Um, but I've, I've just um, thought of a few to share. Uh, mission uh, can be practical. Um, Some examples might be volunteering at the food banks uh, to work with Christians Against Poverty, uh, to run soup runs with the homeless, Uh, maybe a practical outreach like cleaning up local parks, Um, anything to show the community that we care, and we're doing it with Christian love. (laughs) Those practical ways is a type of mission. But also, mission can be intercession, Um, and some people think, oh, they're just the intercessors. I'd say, actually, intercession is for everyone. There are people who are specifically called to intercession, and you can just feel it bubble up in you, and you just can't help but, like, pray, and pray in the spirit, and be really in tune with, you know, what God's doing in different situations, but also to pray practically about certain things that need to... you need, you need God's hand and, and guidance in. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but intercession is for everybody uh, because uh, I'll go into it in a minute, but um, basically um, Philippians 4 verse 6, it says, don't worry about anything at all. Instead, pray about everything. <coughs> so don't worry, instead pray. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done, so we can intercede as we go about every life, everyday life, as well as in specific times of prayer. So we can we can we can actually do mission through intercession, and actually that's something that God calls us to, is to to spend time in His presence and um, to, um, as I've talked about before, intimately knowing Him and allowing it to flow out of us. But it actually says here, don't worry. Instead, pray, and we can be in and out of prayer at all times. Um, a while ago, somebody taught me about um, <clears throat> about uh, breath prayers, so having um, maybe a, a phrase that you might like, so, so like from the Bible, uh, maybe just a simple sort of thing like God is good, and throughout the day maybe you're feeling overwhelmed about something, you can just say it under your breath. God is good. Or maybe there's a scripture you can use, a short one. You can just say it under your breath and meditate on it, and that is a form of intercession. And by saying it, we're filtering, we're changing our mindset, we're thinking in a heavenly perspective about how God sees things, and we're allowing it to flow out of us. And as we do that, atmospheres change, atmospheres shift, and our communities are transformed because we're different, it starts with us. Mission starts with us. Um, we can all go to prayer meetings, um, and they're often perceived as being really dull. I don't know if in this church, do you have regular prayer meetings? I know you do in Sunday morning. Do you have other midweek things? Yeah. That I'm sure you all go to them and you all love them. <laughs> um, the prayer meetings um, are often quite dull, if I'm very honest. (laughs) I've been to quite a few dull ones, and it's like the last place I really want to be on a Monday night or whenever it is. Um, But I've been to other meetings, prayer meetings, where I cannot wait to get there. What's the difference? It's interceding in the Spirit and doing things from a heavenly perspective and asking God What's your will here? How do you view this scenario? Let's pray in the spirit. Let's spend time in your presence. Let's engage with you. And, and actually, sometimes you can get to the end of a prayer meeting, the time's just flown by, and you're still wailing on the floor thinking, oh my gosh, I haven't even begun. <laughs> and this moment is actually shifting Everything like changing atmospheres, and and I, I feel a totally different person. The people around us well, that we meet during the week will will notice it, and they'll start to be transformed because of your transformation in Christ, and um, and that is a form of mission because you're you're being rooted in Jesus at all times. Oh yeah, so I I put here um, that. The Lord's Prayer is key and crucial here, and I've used this a lot in the last year particularly. It says here, On earth as it is in heaven. When we go to prayer meetings or when we petition things before God, we can, of course, we can pray, as it says in Philippians, we can pray about all things. (laughs) We can bring everything to him. We can tell him our needs. We can thank him for what he's done and what he's doing. But we can also say, okay, God, this is what I see right now, but what's your perspective? And sometimes it's just a matter of just sitting and listening, having lock-up time with God. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, lock-up time, going into the closet. I don't know if you've heard these phrases, but they're all sort of terms that we use to, um, to actually lock away with Jesus And to spend time with him and to hear his voice. And actually, a time alone in my bedroom, away from the world, will mean that when I'm out and about, I'll be a lot more effective in my evangelism, in my mission, because I've spent time away with Jesus and I've been listening to his voice. It's not in my notes at all here, but I'm just thinking back to Mary and Martha (laughs) And, you know, who did the better thing? The one who actually spent time with Jesus rather than the active... I mean, they're both important. We need to do things practically, of course. I'm not dismissing that. Things do practically need to be done. We've already talked about soup runs and food banks and things like that. Practical things are really, really, really important for mission. But Jesus said, spend time with me. She's chosen the better one, the one... The one who spent time with me, is that Mary? I think I always get those two mixed up. I think it's Mary who spent time with him and Martha who was in the kitchen. Mary's chosen the better thing to spend time with me. And I feel like so many of us just get caught up in the activity. We get caught up in the, I have to do this, I have to do that, I need to get involved with this. and And our schedules get so busy that... Actually, it's lost all its purpose and meaning. It's, it's, yes, it's important. But why are we doing it? Why? Do we love Jesus? Or is it just something we do because we've always done it, because we think that it's right? Do we love Jesus? Are we spending time with him? Are we interceding from a heavenly perspective to bring heaven to earth? So I'd like to just say a couple of other things about intercession before I move on about other ways of mission, other, other things that we can do for mission. <coughs> um, another thing regarding intercession is it's not just our prayers with words. Intercession can be sound. That sounds very odd. <laughs> it can be Music. it can be groaning, it can be emotion, it can be our thoughts, it can be expressions of creativity, different ways, just asking God to just express through art or through any any kind of creative um, activity. Intercession can be dance and movement, and it also can be prophecy and prophetic acts. There's many different ways of interceding in the spirit. And um, years ago, it sounds really weird, and I'm almost sort of cringing when I say this. Um, years ago, I actually did a prophetic act, um, which was a forward roll on the floor. It's the weirdest thing. My friend, my friend, my friend, Evan is one of my best friends, and it was in her living room. And I just said, I, we were just having a, she and I are kind of like partners in crime. And we, um, we often spend time just seeking God together. And... Uh, and I just remember being in her living room late in the evening. And I said to her, I have to do a forward roll. And I could go into all the details and tell you all of the ins and outs of it. I've forgotten some of it now. But at the time, it was really significant. But it was a prophetic act. And it looked stupid. We had a giggle whilst we did it. And I hadn't done a forward roll in years. And probably now I wouldn't be able to do a forward roll <laughs> because I'd be too scared to go over. But <clears throat> I did it. And it was a prophetic act. Um, I could tell you the significance, but I don't think it's necessary, or I even can't remember half of it now. But I know that in that moment of choosing to engage with something silly, something fun, something kind of a bit weird, I know that something shifted, and there was a breakthrough—not just for myself, not just for my friend Ivana, but actually in our community as well. And I know that that there's prophetic acts that actually shift things and. I know that kind of sounds a bit wacky. Um, so if you're not somebody who's into any of that stuff, please just bear with me and do listen to the rest of what I have to share. <laughs> you can just discard it if you really don't think it applies. But, uh, but we do need to act in obedience to God when he asks us to do things because there's something significant in the spirit that goes on beyond what we can ever be aware of. So intercession is absolutely a part of mission. And it's often overlooked. Um, we need to seek the heart of God first and foremost if we want to see anyone truly saved. Seeking the heart of God first if we want to see anyone saved. Um, so finally, I'd like to suggest that mission, just another form of mission, uh, being a, um, doing mission is being a witness And we've talked about that already, about the difference between somebody who has the office of an evangelist but all of us, the rest of us, being witnesses, nobody being excluded. So this is uh, sometimes a specific outreach, um, but most powerfully this is just interactive in our daily lives. And boldness is something that we need to grow in. Quite often... um, People feel like being a witness is, um, is just like, oh, I'll just, I'll just live my life and people will just see it in my life. And I've talked about that. And yes, people see it in our lives. They see Jesus in us. But there is a time where we need to step up in boldness as well. And we actually need to share the gospel with somebody sit- we're sitting next to on the bus. Or the person serving us behind the counter in a cafe. Or, I don't know, just the taxi driver who's giving us a lift home. And, you know, it just takes that moment of, oh my gosh, God's spoken to me. I have to share the gospel with this person. And we have to get over ourselves. And the way that we get over ourselves is if we're experiencing any fear, we need to know perfect love. You know, perfect love drives out all fear. Once we know that we're fully loved, <laughs> and we know that we're fully loved when we spent time in the closet with Jesus, once we know that we're fully loved, we can, we can actually discard fear, and we can step in boldly and share our faith with people around us and be witnesses in and through our daily lives. So later, I'm actually going to take whoever's up for it out with me um, to do some um, evangelism out and about. Um, It depends on the weather, of course, what we're going to actually do practically. But um, I'd like to just share now that I think a lot of people are relieved to find out that I find outreach as an activity um, horrible. (laughs) I do it as a lifestyle, and that's way better. Outreach as an activity is important because it gets us to step up. It teaches us to step out in boldness, to take risks. Faith is spelt R-I-S-K, risk, taking risks. But um, if we just condense outreach as we're going to go out for a couple of hours and you know that's our time to share Jesus with people, then we've completely missed the point. We, we, we're not actually doing it and allowing it to infiltrate into our daily lives. So I, I do outreach, out and about on the streets as an activity when I'm training and equipping people. Um, and I do it, and I I have a love-hate relationship, love-hate relationship with it. I love it because it gets people activated and people start to see God move through them. And then they can come back and share their testimonies and be really encouraged, and it can spur people on. I hate it because it limits us and sometimes... Also, people feel like they're being pounced on, and you know. So we need to get past that and just learn how to do it as a natural part of our lives. But the thing that I do love about it is it it helps us to um, to take risk and to be bold and to share share our faith and to also summarize in our own minds what our faith actually is. What is the gospel? Because actually, if you if you go around the room and you can ask what the gospel is, we'll have some basic principles. But it will be fluffy around the edges, and it's good to learn what is a gospel message and how do I present that to somebody. So if you come um, out on the streets with me, we'll go through some of the ABCs of the gospel and how to share share your faith succinctly with people, just a few tools and tactics in order to to boldly share your faith with others. So what I'd like to encourage us to do this weekend is um, to ask God, how can you, you use me to witness to others so i can teach you tools as i've just talked about to encourage us in our journey of boldly sharing the gospel but only you can carry it out in your daily life it's going to be different for every single person because of who you are personality wise it's going to be different for um you individually because of who you meet in your daily life what what work you do it's going to be different for so many different reasons um, but being a witness doesn't mean having a particular personality type. It doesn't mean that you have to be Abby McCaskill or Todd White or, you know, whoever, um, Chris Street. It doesn't mean that you have to be any of these sort of people who, who are known for sharing their faith out and about. It's not a personality. It's God using you and your uniqueness to reach. It takes all kinds of people to reach All kinds, and he wants to use our uniqueness to draw others into knowing him. I'm just going to skip through a few things because I actually don't need to cover this. I've already covered it in other things I'm saying. One second. Oh, yeah, I just uh, here talked about. The things that we love, God loves to partner with us and our own unique personalities. So the things we love is the things that He's going to use to reach others. Um, so for myself, I love I love languages. I'm learning my third language at the moment. Um, I love to travel. I love good coffee, <laughs> and I also love to ski. Those are just some of my favourite things in the world. Um, And I was actually really frustrated last week because I went skiing with my family and I did not ski because I was sick. (laughs) But uh, but never mind, God still loves me and I'll get to go skiing another time and it's all good. And I was in the glorious mountains. But guess what? (laughs) I love those things, so therefore I love to talk about those things. You know, you catch me in a conversation. And at some point, I'm going to talk to you about travel. At some point, I'm going to talk to you about learning my third language. At some point, I'm going to talk to you about my passion for skiing. You know, all of these different things will just come out in conversation. Because God loves the things we're passionate about. And he'll connect people to the gospel message through the things that we're passionate about already. And it will connect us to the right people because of the things that we're passionate about. So mission doesn't have to be at all complicated. I can go to my Spanish class and share Jesus with people because i'm passionate about learning another language they're also there because they want to know, learn another language in the process of learning another language they're going to ask me what i do in life and this has already happened and i had to say in very basic spanish that i travel around the world and i preach the gospel <laughs> and they were looking at me really really strangely and and then the the, the teacher uh, gideon his name is from argentina he was just making it worse for me it was just asking me more and more and more questions and eventually I was like I don't have the Spanish words to explain this I have to do it in English (laughs) Um, but they were really really intrigued so at some point the gospel message will just come out through what you naturally love and God wants to partner with you partner with you through the things that you love it might be painting it might be cooking so if you love to cook then perhaps you can invite people into your home Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. And um, you're going to be sitting around the dinner table, and there's going to be a conversation that flows. And they're going to be talking to you about maybe the choice of wine or um, the, the ingredients that you used in your dish or the particular, I don't know, maybe the temperature that you set the oven to or something. I don't know. They might be talking to you about all of these things. But the passion for cooking which actually, by the way, I don't have at all. (laughs) I don't really cook. Um, But the passion that you have for cooking, um, at some point in that conversation, the gospel message will be filtered through it. And sometimes you have to... If you you don't want to share the gospel, sometimes you have to awkwardly skirt around a a conversation in order to avoid talking about the gospel because it's so ingrained in who you are and it just filters out of your life. And so... um, Yeah, I I just truly wanted to say to you that the things you are passionate about, don't try and be somebody else and take on a different personality and um, apply even some of the skills and tools I might teach you if you come to the um, outreach thing later. You know, some of those things, you might even just discard them. Like, (laughs) I'm happy for you to discard them if (coughs) you're willing to say... Okay, I will allow God to use me and my passions and my skills and my giftings and um, the things that I love to do to share Jesus with others Um, because that's, you know, God likes to use us uniquely to reach others. It takes all kinds to reach all kinds. So I'd like to, as I kind of, I think I've got a bit more, but as I sort of, um, talk a bit more about this. I'd like to define evangelism as because people have so many different ideas about evangelism and it drives me up the wall. You know, if you take off all the pre misconceptions, whatever. I'd like to define evangelism as simple as this. It's loving people towards Jesus. That's it. Love people towards Jesus. So this takes the pressure of all the awkwardness of witnessing to others. Our mission as witnesses of Jesus Christ is simply to love Him, love others, and point people to Jesus. Love and point. That's all it is. Love and point. <clears throat> um, I would like to say something here as well, which um might ruffle a few people, and that's that uh, not everyone. <coughs> the box of getting saved and automatically coming to church. Um, I've experienced this countless times where people in church have actually uh, been quite um, unkind to me with my form of evangelism because they're like, well, why aren't they here in church right now if they got saved out on the street? Why are they not here? And an example of that is... um, a while ago I felt compelled to leave my church service, an evening service. My church is an Anglican church. It's right on the middle of the high street in Worcester. And I felt compelled literally in that moment to get up and to leave um, and to go and share the gospel with whoever was outside. And, and I did. And actually somebody got healed of some leg trouble they were having and they gave their life to Jesus. Not because they particularly understood all the theology or whatever but because they had this connection with God and they were just like I want to know the one who healed me and the one who knows everything about my life (laughs) you know that tells it all really and so they didn't fit the box of somebody who would come into church but they did have an encounter with Jesus they did get physically healed and they also said a form of a prayer, not necessarily the the sort of the written-out prayer of salvation that we might all know, but they said a sort of a version of it that made sense to them in the moment that actually was a commitment to Jesus Christ. That's evangelism. That's salvation. I always point people to the local church, always. I I, I never say, "Great, you're saved now, bye, and that's it. I say to people... you need to go and find a local church (coughs) but bear in mind that not not everyone fits the box of a local church so when I went back into my service and actually somebody was a little bit worried about me they came over and sort of were just like you know what's going on where were you blah 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 Um, because it was it was in the winter so it was dark and I came back in and I just said, oh, I was out in the streets, I was showing my faith with people, and this guy got saved and healed. And his first question to me was, so why isn't he here now? <laughs> and so the automatic assumption that Christians make is that we just conform into get saved and come to church. Why do we want people to immediately conform to our pattern? It will come. It will come. People will learn about God and they'll want to be in community with others. And being in community is really important. But we just want people to fit a box. And I'd like to say to you, as we're out and about on the streets or living our daily lives, we're going to meet people who are going to be one foot here and one foot there. And they're going to take, they'll need a little bit of coaching um, before they'll come into a church building, or maybe they'll never come into a church building. We all want people to be in community of Jesus-loving people, um, but we're going to meet people who don't fit that box at all. <clears throat> you might have heard of the, um, the, 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 the terminology um, believe, behave, and belong. I don't know, have you come across that before? Believe, behave and belong. And I think historically as churches that we've had that sort of uh, mindset that people first need to believe in God. As soon as they believe in God, they need to start behaving in a particular way. And only when they've started to behave in a particular way, they're then going to belong. They're going to be part of who we are. But only once they've gone through that process. They have to believe first, then they have to behave And now they finally, eventually, maybe never, they can finally belong. I'd like to flip all of that around. And there is teaching about this out there, so this isn't my own. But I'd I'd just like to, to share with you now that if we flip this around, then this is actually the true gospel message. People first need to feel they can belong before they can believe And through relationship with Jesus, through discipleship, through loving people towards Jesus, as I previously defined evangelism, through all of those things, eventually they will behave. But it's through relationship with Christ, right? (laughs) We're going to behave, excuse me, (coughs) behave, but if we behave because it's a set of rules and structures and rigidity that we can't, you know, we feel like we can't stick to, then we're already starting from the wrong place. It's through relationship, through knowing him, through continually loving people, through, through nurturing people into relationship with Christ. That's where true discipleship happens. And we're going to be disappointed and we're going to be let down. And we're going to have things thrown in our face. And one personal story, which actually really, you know, I'm actually emotional about this, is there's a a friend of mine, a guy who I led to the Lord through a word of knowledge. The other side of the world, I was actually in California and he was um, in England. (coughs) And um, we became friends through um, a gig. (laughs) He... um, Uh, he was a facebook friend and i was sitting in my bedroom in california at this ministry school um, whilst i was at the ministry school and i had just had this word of knowledge that he had pain in his back and shoulder and so i sent him this facebook message and he gave his life to jesus like through he got physically healed opened up a a bunch of questions and then he gave his life to jesus and it was it was Over several days, there was this process of conversation happening through Facebook Messenger, through a guy who I met at a gig, and I was the other side of the world when this happened. And he was so passionate and so excited to know Jesus. And, um, And I got him immediately, because I point people to the local church, I got him immediately connected with another guy who I knew who could mentor and disciple him, and he started going to a local church in the area. And he was so passionate about telling others about Jesus. And my church, the church that he was in rather, did a lot to welcome him in, but he's not a conventional guy and he doesn't fit the box. And actually, even though there was lots of love and nurture towards this guy, so I actually, I'm not pointing my finger or criticizing anyone, but I still want to just say he does, he he is not a conventional Christian, and even when people loved and nurtured him, he still was a little bit wacky, and he couldn't handle the behave kind of mentality, and he now actually is not in a church at all. He's now um, he actually sent me a text message the other day to say he doesn't believe at all, and I do I don't believe he doesn't believe. I think he's gone way too far to have crossed that line. But it's almost like it's just too much for him to say, I, I believe in this now and I'll go to church and I'll continue to meet up with the people who uh, have been nurturing and discipling me. Um, it, it was just too much for him to cope with. So I'm going to say to you right now that, that that for me is really upsetting because he's a guy who I led to the Lord and I know God's got him. I know that God's powerful in his life. He's on a journey, and I know that ultimately God's got him in the palm of His hand. And even if he's not acknowledging it right now, that he 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 will be ultimately saved. But we can be disappointed. We can be let down. Uh, we can be frustrated. Uh, we can experience all of these things. A mission is often very very tough. It's also really fun because we all get to do it. We all get to do it every day in every situation. It's really amazing. But if we're in those long-term relationships with people and we're specifically in those connections with people who don't conform, then we we have to put the love on <laughs> and we have to continually forgive. We have to continually release and we have to continually um, trust people and you know, just allow people to... Um, to know that they belong because the belonging happens first the believing happens at some point during that whole point, uh, that whole stage and then the behaving just sort of happens at a later point but the belonging is first and foremost Um, so I'd like to just sort of wrap this up really Um, it's quarter past twelve now so I think we're breaking for lunch at half past twelve is that correct? Yeah, half past 12. So we've got 15 minutes. And I'd like to focus this um, all back on to the mission of actually loving him, loving Jesus. Um, I, I loved the worship today. I loved Ian's written song. You know, that was amazing that you wrote in, was it January? You wrote that song that you sang. And I was just like, this is a church of people who love Jesus and want to spend time with him and are writing fresh songs. And if you're writing fresh songs then you know that God's at work. And I was just so encouraged by it. And and I was just thinking, this is a church that loves Jesus and loves and honors the presence of God. We prioritize the presence of God. Love that about this church. But often, and even in great churches like this, but often in services, we can get into a rut of having a few worship songs just to get the juices rolling or flowing, and then swiftly move on to a talk and a bit of prayer ministry. And that's fine, and that's great, and there's nothing wrong with it. But loving him requires more than that. Loving him requires prioritizing the presence of God. Loving him requires stepping in, maybe kneeling, maybe just gazing at him. Eric Gilmore is a guy who... um, he does a lot of, um, actually he comes to England quite a lot, and he does a lot of public speaking. And, um, but his main ministry, his, his, his ministry name is Sonship International, so it's all about learning to be sons and daughters of God. And um, he talks a lot about this intimacy, knowing him, locking up in the closet with Jesus kind of messages. And something he says is, <coughs> This is my job, to stare at the Lamb." And from that place, call out to everyone else to do the same. I'm going to say that again. And I'd like to spend um, the next little while doing that. Um, let's, let's practice it in just in our own hearts. And I'll say this phrase again that Eric says. This is my job to stare at the lab. And from that place, call out to everyone else to do the same. Psalm 63, verse 8. With passion, I pursue and cling to you. Because I feel your grip on my life, I keep my soul close to your heart. So I don't know if any worship people want to come up or not, but that's up to you. We can just spend time in adoration before lunch. But let's just focus on him. Our love for telling others about him will grow as we love him and we learn how to linger in his presence.